0: The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. R. Tolkien Continuing the story of The Hobbit Chapter 4 Of Herbs and Stewed Rabbit For the few hours of daylight that were left, they rested, shifting into the shade as the sun moved, until at last the shadow of the western rim of the dell grew long and darkness filled all the hollow. Then they ate a little and drank sparingly. Gollum ate nothing, but he accepted water gladly. Soon get more now, he said, licking his lips. Good water runs down in streams in the great river. Nice water in the lands we are going to. Smeagol will get food there too, perhaps. He's very hungry. Yes, call him. He set his two large flat hands on the shrunken belly, and a pale green light came into his eyes. The dusk was deep when at length they set out, creeping over the westward rim of the dell and fading like ghosts into the broken country of the borders of the road. The moon was now three nights from the full, but it did not climb over the mountains until nearly midnight. In the early night was very dark a single red light burned up, burned high up in the towers of the teeth but, the, but otherwise no sign could be seen or heard of the sleepless watch on the moranon for many miles the red eyes seemed to stare at them as they fled stumbling through a barren stony country they did not dare to take the road but they had kept it on their left following its line as well as they could at a little distance at last, when night was growing old, and they were already weary; for they had taken only one short rest, the eye dwindled to a small, fierce point, and then vanished. They had turned the eye they had turned the dark northern shoulder of the, sh- of the lower mountains and were heading t- southwards with the hearts with, with hearts strangely lightened, they now rested again, but not for long, and they were not going quick enough for Gollum. By his reckoning, it was nearly thirty leagues from the Moranon to the crossroads above Osgiliath, and he hoped to cover that distance in four journeys. As soon as they struggled on once more, until the dawn began to spread slowly in the wide, gray solitude, they had then walked almost eight leagues, and the hobbits could not have gone any further, even if they had dared. The growing light revealed to them a land already less barren and ruinous, the mountains still loomed up ominously on their left, but near at the hand they could see the southward road, now bearing away from the black roots of the hills and slanting westwards. Beyond it were slopes covered with somber trees like dark clouds, but all about them lay a tumbled heathland grown with ling and broom and cornel and other shrubs that they did not know. Here and there they saw knots of tall pine trees. The hearts of the hobbits rose again, a little in spite of weariness. The air was fresh and fragrant, and it reminded them of the uplands of the north farthing far away. It seemed good to be reprived to walk in a land that had only been a few years under the dominion of the Dark Lord, and was not yet fallen wholly into decay. But they did not forget their danger, nor the black gate that was still all too near, hidden though it was behind the gloomy heights. They looked about for for a hiding place where they could shelter from. Uh, evil eyes, while the light lasted. The day passed uneasily. They lay there, they lay deep in the heather and counted out the slow hours, in which there seemed little change, for they were still under the shadows of the Ethel Duath, and the sun was veiled. Frodo slept at times, deeply and peacefully, and the trusting Gollum were too tired to trouble about him. But Sam found it difficult to do... To do more than doze, even when Gollum was plainly fast asleep, whiffling and twitching in his secret dreams, hunger, perhaps more than mistrust, mistrust, kept him wakeful. He had begun to long for some, for a good homely meal, something hot out of the pot. As soon as the land faded into a formless grey under the night, they started walking. They started out again. In a little while, Gollum led them down, on to the southward road, and after that they went on. More quickly, though the danger was greater, their ears were strained for the sound of hoof or foot on the road ahead, or following them from behind. But the night passed, and they heard no sound of walker or rider. The road had been made in a long- lost time for perhaps thirty miles below the moor anon, it had been newly repaired, but as it went south, the wild encroached it, enroached upon it. the handwork the handiwork of men of old could still be seen in its straight sure flight and level course now and again it cut its way through hillside slopes or leaped over a great stream upon a wide shapely arch of enduring masonry but at last all signs of stonework faded save for a broken pillar here and there peering out of the bushes at the side or old paving stones still lurking amid weeds and moss heather and trees and bracken scrambled down and overhung the banks or sprout out of sprawled out of the surface it dwindled at last to a country cart road little used but it did not wind wind it did not wind it held on its own sure course and guided them by the swiftest way so they passed into the northern marches of that land that men once called ethelian a fair country of climbing woods and swift falling streams The night became fine under star and round moon, and it seemed to the hobbits that the fragrance of the air grew as they went forward, and from the blowing and muttering of Gollum it seemed that he noticed it too, and did not relish it. At the first signs of day they halted again. They had come to the end of a long cutting, deep and sheer sided in the middle, but which the road clove its way through a stony bridge, now they climbed up the western bank and looked abroad day was opening in the sky and they saw that the mountains were now much farther off receding eastward in a long curve that was lost in the distance before them as they turned west gentle slopes ran down into dim hazes far below all about them were small woods of resinous trees fir and cedar and cypress and other kinds unknown in the shire with wide glades, with wide glades among them and everywhere there was a wealth of sweet-smelling herbs and shrubs the long journey from Rivendell had brought them far south of their own land, but not until now, in this more sheltered region, had the hobbits felt the change of climate. Here, spring was already busy about them. Frogs pierced mo- moss and mould; larches were green-fingered. Small flowers o- were opening in the turf. Birds were singing. Ithilien, the garden of Gondor, now desolate, kept still a dishevelled dryad loveliness. South and west, they looked towards the warm lo- lower. Vales of anduin shielded from the east of the Duath, and yet not under the mountain shadow protected from the north by the Emin mule open to the southern airs and moist winds from the sea far away many great trees grew there planted long ago falling into untended age amid a riot of careless descendants in groves and thickets there were a tamarisk and pungent terebinth of olive and of bay and there were jumpers and Myrtles and thymes that grew in bushes or with their woody creeping stems mantled in, it in deep tapestries the hidden stones, sages of many kinds putting forth blue flowers or red or pale green, and majormas and new sprouting parsleys, and many herbs of forms and scents beyond the garden lore of Sam. The grots and rocky walls were already starred with sax- saxifrages and stone crops prime prime and anemones were awake in the filbert brakes, and asphodel and many lily flowers nodded their half-open heads in the grass deep green grass beside the pools were falling streams, where falling streams halted in cold, cool hollows on their journey down to anduin the travellers turned their backs on the road and went downhill as they walked brushing their way through brush and herb bush and herb sweet odours rose about them Gollum coughed and wretched, but the hobbits breathed deep, and suddenly Sam laughed, for heart's ease not bit not for jest. They followed a stream that went quickly down before them. Presently it brought them to a small clear lake in a shallow dell. It lay in the broken ruins of an ancient stone basin, the carbon rim of which was almost wholly covered with mosses and rose brambles. Iris swords stood in rings about it, and water lilies floated on its dark, gently rippling surface, but it was deep and fresh and spilled ever softly out over a stony lip at the far end. Here they washed themselves and drank their fill at the end falling fresh it. Then... They sought for a resting place and a hiding place, for this land, fair-seeming still, was nonetheless now territory of the enemy. They had not come very far from the road, and yet even in so short a space they had seen scars of the old wars and the newer wounds made by the the orcs and other foul servants of the Dark Lord. A bit of uncovered filth and refuse, trees hewn down went, Went only and left to die, with evil runes or the fell sign of the eye cut in rude strokes on their bark. Sam scrambling below the outfall of the lake, smelling and touching the unfamiliar plants and trees, forgetful for the moment of Mordor, was reminded suddenly of the ever-present peril. He stumbled on a ring that scorched. He stumbled on a ring still scorched by fire, and in the midst of it he found a pile of charred and broken bones and skulls. The swift growth of the wild with briar and elk Egilentine and, and Trang Selimatis were already drawing a veil over, the, over this place of dreadful feast and slaughter, but it was not eggshit. He hurried back to his companions, but he said nothing. The bones are best left in peace and not pawed and rooted by Gollum. Let's find a place to lie up in, he said, not lower down, higher up from me. A little way back up above the lake, they found a deep brown bed of last year's fern. Beyond it was a thicket of dark-leaved bay trees climbing up a steep bank that was crowned with old cedars. Here they decided to rest and pass the day, which already promised to be bright and warm. A good day for strolling on their way along the gloves and glades of Athelion but Though orcs may shun the sunlight, there were too many places here where they could lie hide lie hid and watch, and other evils and other evil eyes were abroad. Sauron had many servants. Gollum, in any case, would not move under the yellow face. Soon it would look over the dark ridges of the Eiffel Duath, and he would faint and cower in the light and heat. Sam had been giving earnest thought to food as they marched. Now that the despair of the impassable gate was behind him, he did not feel so inclined as his master to take no thought from, for their livelihood behind the end of their errand. In, a, in any way it seemed wiser to him to save the way bread of the elves for worse times ahead. Six, day, six days or more had passed since he reckoned that they had only a bear supply for three weeks. If we reach the fire in that time, we'll be lucky on, at this rate, he thought, and we might be wanting to get back, we might. Besides, at the end of a long night march and, that, and after bathing and drinking, he felt even more hungry than usual. A supper or breakfast by the fire in the old kitchen at Bagshot Row was what he really wanted. An idea struck him and he turned to Gollum. Gollum had just begun to sneak off on his own, and he was crawling away on all fours through the fern. Hi, Gollum, said Sam. Where are you going? Hunting? Well see here, old noser, you don't like our food, and I'd not be and I'd not be sorry for a change myself. Your new model's always ready to help. Could you find anything fit for a hungry hobbit? Yes, perhaps yes, said Gollum. Schmiegel always helps if they asks, if they asks nicely. Right," said Sam. "I does ask, and if that isn't nice enough, I begs." Gollum disappeared. He was away for some. He was away some time, and Frodo, after a few mouthfuls of lambast, settled deep into the brown fern and went to sleep. Sam looked at him. The early daylight was only just creeping down into the shadows under the trees, but he saw his master's face very clearly, and his hands too, lying at rest on the ground beside him he was minded suddenly of frodo as he had lain asleep in the house of elrond after his deadly wound then as he kept watched him had noticed that at times a light seemed to be shining faintly within but now the light was even clearer and stronger frodo's face was peaceful the marks of fear and care had left it but it looked old old and beautiful as if the chiselling of the shaping years was now revealed in many fine lines that had been hidden before Though the identity of the face was not changed, Gamge put it that way to himself. He shook his head, as if, finding word, as if finding words useless, and murmured, I love him. He's like that, and sometimes it shines through somehow, but I love him, whether or no. Gollum returned quietly and peered over Sam's shoulder. Looking at Frodo, he shut his eyes and crawled away without a sound. Sam came to him a moment later and found him chewing something and muttering to himself. On the ground beside him lay two small rabbits, which he began to eye greedily. Smeagel always helps, he said. He has brought rabbits, nice rabbits, but Master has gone to sleep, and perhaps Sam wants to sleep. Doesn't want rabbits now? Smiegel tries to help to help, but he can't catch things all in a minute. Sam, however, had no objection to rabbit at all, and said so, at least not to cooked rabbit all hobbits of course can cook for they began to learn the art before their letters which many never reach but sam was a good cook even by hobbit reckoning and he had done a good deal of camp cooking on their travels when there was a chance he still hopefully carried some of his gear in his pack a small tinder box two small shallow pans the smaller fitting into the larger inside them a wooden spoon a short two-pronged fork and some skewers were stowed, and hidden at the bottom of the pack in a flat wooden box, a dwindling treasure, some salt. But he needed a fire and other things besides. He thought for a bit while he took out his knife, cleaned and wetted it, and began to dress the rabbit. He was not going to leave Frodo alone asleep, even for a few minutes. Now Gollum, he said, I have another job for you. Go and fill these pans with water and bring them back. Smeagol will fetch water, yes, said Gollum. But what does the hobbit want all that water for? He has drunk, he has washed. Never you mind, said Sam. If you can't guess, you'll soon find out. And the sooner you fetch the water, the sooner you'll learn. Don't you damage one of my pants, or I'll carve you into mincemeat. While Gollum was away, Sam took another look at Frodo. He was still sleeping quietly, but Sam was now struck by, most by the leanness of his face and hands. Too thin and drawn he is, he muttered. Not right for a hobbit. If I can get these coonies cooked, I'm going to wake him up. Sam gathered a pile of the driest fern and then scrambled up the bank, collecting a bundle of twigs and broken wood. The fallen branch of a cedar at the top gave him a good supply. He cut out some turns at the foot of the bank just outside the fern break and made a shallow hole and laid his fuel in it being handy with flint and tinder he soon had a small blaze going it made little or no smoke but gave off an aromatic scent he was just stooping over his fire shielding it and building it up with heavier wood when Gollum returned carrying the pants carefully and grumbling to himself he set the pants down and then suddenly saw what sam was doing he gave a thin hissing shriek and seemed to be both frightened and angry Ach, no, he cried, no, silly hobbits, foolish, yes, foolish, they mustn't do it. Mustn't do what, asked Sam in surprise, not make the nasty red tongues his gum. Fire, fire, it's dangerous, yes, it is, it burns, it kills, it will bring the enemies, yes, it will. I don't think so, said Sam, don't see why it should, if you don't put wet stuff on it. And make its mother. But if it does, it does. I'm going to risk it anyhow. I'm going to stew these conies. Stew the rabbits? screwed Gollum in dismay. Spoil beautiful meat Schmeagle saved for you, poor hungry Schmeagle. What for? What for, silly hobbit? They are young, they are tender, they are nice. Eat them, eat them. He clawed at the nearest rabbit, already skinned and lying by the fire now now said sam each to his own fashion our bread chokes you and raw coney chokes me if you give me a coney the coney's mine see to cook if i have a mind and i have you needn't watch me go and catch another and eat it as you fancy some are private and out of my sight then you won't see the fire and i shan't see you and we'll both be the happier i'll see the fire don't smoke if that's any comfort to you Gollum withdrew grumbling and crawled into the fern sam busied himself with his pans what a hobbit needs with coney he said to himself is some herbs and roots especially taters not to mention bread herbs we can manage seemingly gollum he called softly third time pays for all i want some herbs gollum's head peeped out of the fern but his looks were neither helpful nor friendly a few bay leaves some diamond sage will do before the water boils, said sam no, said Golem, Schmigel is not pleased, and Schmeagel doesn't like smelly leaves. He doesn't eat grasses or roots, no precious, not till he's starving. Not not till he's starving or very sick, poor Schmeagel smiegel'll get into real true hot water when this water boils if you don't do as he's acts growled sam sam'll put his head in it yes precious and i'd make him look for turnips and carrots and taters too if it was the time of the year i'll bet there's all sorts of good things running wild in this country i'd give a lot for a half of, the, of a dozen taters Schmeagel won't go. Oh, no, precious, not this time, his golem. He's frightened and he's very tired, and this hobbit's not nice, not nice at all. Schmeagel won't grub for roots and carrots and taters. What's taters, precious, eh? What's taters? Potatoes, said Sam. The gaffers delight and rare good ballast for any empty belly. But you won't find any, so you needn't look. But be good, Schmeagel, and fetch me the herbs, and I'll think better of you what's more if you turn over a new leaf and keep it turned i'll cook you some taters one of these days i will fried fish and chips served by s Gamgee. you couldn't say no to that yes yes we could spoiling nice fish scorching it give me fish now and keep nasty chips oh you're hopeless said sam go to sleep in the end he had to find out what he wanted for himself but he did not have to go far out of sight of the place where his master lay still sleeping for a while sam sat musing and tending the fire till the water boiled the daylight grew and the air became warm the dew faded off turf and leaf soon the rabbits cut up lay simmering in their pans with the bunched herbs almost sam fell asleep as the time went by he let them stew for close on an hour testing them now and again with his fork and tasting the broth when he thought all was ready he lifted the pans of the fire and crept along to Frodo. Frodo half opened his eyes as Sam stood over him and then he wakened from his dream from his dreaming another gentle uncoverable dream of peace. "Oh Sam," he said, "not resting is anything wrong? What is the time?" After a couple of hours of daybreak, said Sam, At nine and nine half past eight by strike clocks maybe, but nothing's wrong, though it ain't quite what I'd call right. No stock, no onions, no taters. I've got a bit of a stew for you and some broth, mister Frodo. Do you good you'll have to sup it in your mug or straight from the pan when it's cooled a bit. I haven't bought no bowls, nor nothing proper. Frodo yawned and stretched. You should have been resting, Sam, he said, and lighting a fire was dangerous in these parts, but I do feel hungry. Hm. can I smell it from here? What have you stewed? A present from Schmeagol, said Sam, a brace of young conies, though I fancy golems regretting them now, but there's not to go with them but a few herbs. Sam and his master sat just within the fern brake and ate their stew from the pans, sharing the old fork and spoon. They allowed themselves a half a piece of the elvish waybread bread each. It seemed a feast. "'Woo, Gollum!' Sam called and whistled softly. "'Come on, still time to change your mind. "'There's some left if you want to try some stewed coney.' "'There was no answer. "'Oh, well, I suppose he's gone off to find something for himself. "'We'll finish it,' said Sam. "'And then you must take some sleep,' said Frodo. "'Don't you drop off while I'm nodding, Mr. Frodo. "'I don't feel too sure of him. "'There's a good deal of Stinker, the bad Gollum, "'if you understand me, and him still. "'And it's getting stronger again.' Not but what I think he tried to throttle me first now. We don't see eye to eye, and he's not pleased with Sam. Oh no, precious, not pleased at all. They finished, and Sam went off to the stream to rent his gear. As he stood up to return, he looked back up at the slope. At that moment he saw the sun rise out of the reek, or haze, or dark shadow, or whatever it was, that lay ever to the east, and it sent its golden beams down upon the trees and glades about him. Then he noticed a thin spiral of blue-gray smoke, plain to see as it caught the sunlight, rising from a thicket above him. With a shock, he realized that this was the smoke from his little cooking fire, which he had neglected to put out. "'That won't do. Never thought it would show like that,' he muttered, and he started to hurry back. Suddenly he halted and listened. Had he heard a whistle or not? Or was it a call of some strange bird? If it was a whistle, it did not come from Frodo's direction.' There it went again, there it went again from another place. Sam began to run as well as he could uphill. He found that a small brand burning away to its outer end had kindled some fern at the edge of the fire, and the fern blazing up had set the turfs set the smouldering hastily. He stamped out what was left of the fire, scattered the ashes, and laid the turfs on the hole. Then he crept back to Frodo. Did you hear a whistle, and what sounded like an answer? He asked. A few minutes back, I hope it was only a bird, but it didn't sound quite like that. More like somebody mimicking a bird call, I thought. And I'm afraid my bit of fire, my bit of fire's been smoking. Now, if I've gone and brought trouble, I'll never forgive myself. Not, nor won't have a chance. Maybe. Hush, whispered Frodo. I think I heard voices. The two hobbits touched their small packs, put them on ready for fight, and then crawled deeper into the fern there there they crouched listening there was no doubt of the voices they were speaking low and fervently but they were near and coming nearer then quite suddenly uh, one spoke clearly close at hand here here's where the smoke came from it said be nigh at hand in the fern no doubt we should have it like a c- cony in a trap then we shall learn what kind of thing it is ay and what it knows said a second at once, four men came striding through the fern from different directions. Since flight and hiding were no longer possible, Frodo and Sam sprang to their feet, putting back to back and whisp- whipping up their small swords. If they were astonished at what they saw, their captors were even more astonished. Four tall men stood there. Two with spears in their hands with broad, bright heads. Two had great bows, almost of their own height, and great quivers of long green feathered arrows. All had swords at their sides, and they were and were clad in green and brown of varied hues, as if the better to walk and see in the glades of Ithilien. Green gauntlets covered their heads, and their faces were hooded and masked with green, except for their eyes, which were very keen and bright. At once Frodo thought of Boromir, for these men were like him in stature and bearing, and in their manner of speech. "'We have not found what we saw,' said one, "'but, we ha- but what have we found?' "'Not orcs,' said another, releasing the hilt of his sword, which he seized when he saw the glitter of the sting in Frodo's hand. "'Elves?' said the third doubtfully. "'Nay, not elves,' said the fourth, the tallest as it appeared, the chief among them. "'Elves do not walk in Italy in these days, and elves are wonders fair to look upon, or so tis said.' "'Meaning, we're not, I take you,' said Sam. "'Thank you kindly, and when you finish discussing us, "'perhaps you'll say who you are "'and why you can't let the two tired travellers rest.' "'The tall green man laughed grimly. "'I am Faramir, captain of Gondor,' he said. "'But there are no travellers in this land, "'only the servants of the Dark Tower, or of the White.' "'We are neither,' said Frodo. "'And travellers we are, whether Captain... "'Whatever Captain Faramir may say.' "'Then make haste to declare yourselves in your errands,' said Faramir. We have work to do, and this is no time or place for riddling or parleying. Come, where is the third of your company? The third? Yes, the sulking fellow that we saw with his nose in the pool down yonder. He had an ill-favored look, some spine breed of orc, I guess, or a creature of theirs. But he gave us to slip by some fox trick. I do not know where he is, said Frodo. He is only a chance companion met upon our road, and I am not answerable for him. If you come to him, spare him. Bring him or send him to us. He is only a wretched, gaingrilled creature. But I have, but I have him under my care for a while. But as for us, we are hobbits of the Shire, far to the north and west, beyond many rivers. Frodo, son of Drogo, is my name, and here with me is Samwise, son of Hamfest, a worthy hobbit in my service. We have come by long, we have come by long ways out of Rivendell or Emeldris, as as some call it. Here Faramir started and grew intent. Seven companions we had, one we lost at Moria, the others we left at Parthgalan above Voras, two of my kin, a dwarf there was also, and an elf, and two men. They were Aragorn and Boromir, who, who said that he had came out of Minas Tirith, a city in the south. Boromir! all the, all the four men exclaimed. Borimir, son of Lord Demethor, said Faramir, with a strange stern look came into his face. You came with him? That is news indeed, if it be true. Know, little strangers, that Boromir, son of Demethor, was high warden of the White Tower, and our captain general. Sorely do we miss him. Who are you then, and what had you to do with him? Be swift, for the sun is climbing. Are the riddling words known to you are the riddling words known to you that Boromir brought to Rivendell, replied Frodo, seek for the sword that was broken and in modris it dwells the words are known indeed said faramir in astonishment it is some token of your truth that you also know them aragorn who i named is the bearer of the sword that was broken said frodo and we are the halflings that, that the rhyme spoke of that i see said faramir thoughtfully or i see that it might be so and what is isildur's bane that is hidden answered frodo doubtless it will be made clear in time we must learn more of this, said Faramir, and what know what brings you so far east under the shadow of yonder. He pointed and said no name, but not now. We have business in hand. You are in peril, and you would not have gone far by field or road this day. There will be hard hard hand strokes nigh at hand ere the day is full, then death or swift flight back to Anduin. I will leave you to I will leave to to guard you for the good of your for your good and for mine, wise men trust not to chance meeting on the road in this land. If I return, I will speak with you more. Farewell, said Frodo, bowing low. Think what you will. I am a friend of the, en- I am a friend of all enemies of the one enemy. We should go with you if we halfling folk could hope to serve you. Such doughty men and strong as you seem, and if my errand permitted, may the light shine on your swords. The halflings are courteous folk, whatever else they be said, Farmir farewell. The hobbits sat down again, but they said nothing to one another of their thoughts and doubts, close by, just under the dappling shadow of the dark bay trees. Two men remained on guard. They took off their masks now and again again. They took off their masks now and again to cool them as the day heat grew, and Frodo saw that they were got. They were goodly men, pale skins, dark of hair, with grey eyes and faces, sad and proud. They spoke together in soft voices, at first using the common speech, but after the manner of old day, older days, and then changing to another language of the room. To his amazement, as he listened, Frodo became aware that it was the elven tongue that they spoke, or one, of, or one but little different, and he looked at them with wonder, for he knew that they must be doing... Dunedain of the south men of the line of the lords of westerness after a while he spoke to them but they were slow and cautious in answering they named themselves mablong and damrod soldiers of gondor and they were rangers of Ithilien, for they were descend from folk who lived in Ithilien at one time before it was overrun from such men the lord Dinothor chose his four, four years who crossed the Anduin secretly power where they would not stay, to harry the orcs and the other enemies that roam between the Efeldueth and the river. It is close on ten leagues, hence, the, hence to the east shore of Anduin, said Manblug. and we seldom come so far afield, but we have a new errand to, on this journey. We come to ambush the men of Harad, curse them. I curse the Southerners, said Demrod. Tis said that there were dealings of old between Gondor and the kingdoms of the Harad in the far south, though they were never friendship. In those days, our bonds were away south beyond the mouths of Anduin, and as long and Umbar, the nearest of their realms, acknowledged our sway. But that is long since. Tis many lives of men since have since any passed to or fro between us. Now of late, we have learned that the enemy has been among them. And they are gone over to him, or back to him. They were never ready to his will, as many, as have so many also in the east. I doubt not that the days of Gondor are numbered, and the walls of Minas Tirith are doomed. So great is his strength and malice. But still, we, but still we will not sit idle and let him do all as he would. Said Mablong. these cursed southerns come now, marching up the ancient roads to swell the house. Hosts of the Dark Tower, yea, up the very roads that craft, craft, that craft of Gondor made, and they go ever more heedlessly. We learn, thinking that power of their new master is great enough, so that they, so that the mere shadow of hills will protect them. We come to teach them another lesson. Great his strength of them, which reported to us some day. Marching north, one of their regiments is due, by our reckoning, to pass by. Sometime ere noon, up on the road above, where it passes through the cloven way, the road may pass, but they shall not not wolf Farmir's captain he leads now in all perilous ventures, but his life is charmed, or fate spears, spares him for some other end. Their talk died down in a light light in a listening silence, all seemed still and watchful. Sam crouched by the edge of the fern brake, peered out with his keen hard eyes he saw that many more men were about he could see them stealing up the slopes singly or long in, in or in long files keeping away to the shade of grove or thicket or crawling hardly visible in their brown and green raiment through the grass and break through the grass and brake all were hooded and masked and had gauntlets on their hands and were armed like farmer and his companions before long they had all passed and vanished the sun rose till it neared the south that the shadow shrank. I wonder where that dreaded gollum is, thought Sam, as he called back into the deeper shade. He stands a fair chance of being sp- spitted for an orc or of being roasted by the yellow face, but I fancy he'll look after himself. He lay down beside Frodo and began to doze. He woke, thinking that he had learned horns blowing. He sat up. He woke, thinking that he had heard horns blowing. He sat up. It was now high noon. The guards still alert and tense in the shadow of the trees. Suddenly the horns rang out, louder and beyond mistake from above, over the top of the slope. Sam thought that he heard cries and wild shouting also, but the sound was faint, as if it came out out of some distant cave. Then presently the noise of the fighting broke out near a hand just above their hiding place. He could hear plainly the ringing grate of steel on steel, the clang of sword on iron cap, and the dull beat of blade on shield. Men were yelling and screaming, and one clear, loud voice was calling, Gondor, Gondor! It sounds like a hundred blacksmiths all smithing together, said Sam to Frodo. They're as near as I want them now. But the noise grew closer. They are coming, cried Damrod. See, some of the southerns south, south have broke from the trap and are flying from the road. There they go, our men after them, and the captain leading them. Sam, eager to see more, went now and joined the guards. He scrambled a little way up into one of the larger of the bay trees. For a moment he caught a glimpse of swarthy men in red running down the slope some way off the green-clad warriors leaping after them, hewing them down as they fled. Arrows were thick in the air, then suddenly straight over the rim of their sheltering bank a man fell, crashing through the slender trees nearly on top of them. He came to rest in the fern a few feet away, face downward, green arrow feathers sticking from his neck below a golden collar. His scarlet robes were tattered. His corslet of overlapping brazen plates were rent and hewn. His black plaits of hair braided with gold were drenched with blood. His brown hand still clutched the hilt of, of a broken sword. It was Sim's first view of a battle of men against men, and he did not like it much. He was glad that he could not see the dead face he wondered what the man's name was and where he came from and if he really was evil of heart or what lies or threats had led led him on the long march from his home and if he would not really rather have stayed there in peace all in a flash of thought which was quickly driven from his mind for just just as mablung stepped towards the fallen body there was a new noise great crying and shouting amidst it sam heard a shrill bellowing or trumpeting and then a great thudding and bumping, like huge rams dinning on the ground. Where, where? cried Damrod to his companion. May the volar turn turn him aside. Mumak, mumak. To his astonishment and terror and lasting delight, Sam saw a vast shape crash out of the trees and come careering down the slope. Big as a house, much bigger than a house, it looked to him, a grey-clad moving hill. Fear and wonder maybe enlarged him in the hobbit's moving in the hobbit's eyes, but the Mumak of Harad was indeed a beast of vast bulk, and the like of him does not walk in the middle earth. His kin that lay still in latter days are but memories of girth and majesty. On he came, straight towards the watchers, and then swerved aside in the nick of time, passing only a few yards away, rocking the ground beneath their feet. His great legs like trees, enormous sail-like ears spread out, long snout upraised like a huge serpent ready to strike, his small red eyes raging, his upturned horn-like tusks were bound with bands of gold and dripped with blood, his trappings of scarlet and gold flapped about him in wild tatters, the ruins of what seemed a very war tower lay upon his heaving back, smashed, smashed in his furious passage through the woods and high upon his neck still desperately clung, clung a tiny figure the body of a mighty warrior a giant among the swordings on the great beast that thundered blundering in blind wrath through pool and thicket arrows skipped and snapped harmlessly ab- about the triple hide of his flanks men of both sides fled before him but many he overtook and crushed to the ground soon he was lost to view still trumpeting and stamping far away What became of him Sam never heard, whether he escaped to Rome, the wild for a time, until he perished far from his home, or was trapped in some deep pit, or whether he raged on until he plunged in the great river and was swallowed up. Sam drew a deep breath. An oliphant it was, he said. So there are olifants, and I have seen one. What a life, but no one at home will ever believe me. Well, if that's over, I'll have a bit of sleep. Sleep while you may, said Mabelung, but the captain will return if he is unhurt, and when he comes we shall depart swiftly. We shall be pursued as soon as news of our deed reaches the enemy, and that will not be long. Go quietly when you must, said Sam. No need to disturb my sleep. I was walking all night. Mabelung laughed. I do not think the captain will leave you here, Master Samwise, he said, but you shall see.